Hello and welcome to Questions You're Not Asking. My name is Tom French and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Morphew. Hey everyone. Chris and I are writing a book with responses to a bunch of absurd questions about God and the Bible that you're probably not asking and probably don't need an answer to. As we prepare to write the book, we're letting you in on our discussions. This week, we have an excellent discussion for you with special guest, my wife, Emily Sandrisi. But before we get into that, Chris, how has your week been? Well, I am, as of this recording, on school holidays, which is... After a term of online learning, absolutely fantastic. I completely hit the wall over the weekend and now I feel like I'm slowly coming back up for air again. I can't remember the last time I had a whole week with no responsibilities besides recording a podcast intro, so it's pretty good. Oh, How are you doing? Good. What are you, what are you doing with your holiday time? Did I talk last week about reading Animorphs you books? You did. Or yeah, did yeah. that get cut? Well, no, I'm I can, pretty sure I, I made finished it in. the first one today. That was very exciting. And I will probably read the second one at some point this week. This is the pace of my week. It's great. I made scones. There you go. There's another oh, activity. I bought stuff to make scones as well. Because we made them for youth group. And then I was like, this is so good. I'm going to make them just for fun. I want to eat the that jam. Is, that, is, that is exactly... The same story. We did Zoom scone making, and I was like, "Well, they're all gone, but I know how to make them now." Do you do the? This is quickly turning into a baking podcast. But do you do the three ingredient ones with the lemonade? Yes. Or do you have a? No, it was good. Yeah, lemonade, cream, and flour. Who'd have thought? Yeah, um, I the three really food groups. It. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if, so if, you, if you want to make some easy scones, just search lemonade scones, everyone. When we do start our podcast network, I think we should have a cooking show. Yeah. And it is all good things to cook with your youth group over Zoom. We were discussing before this, the podcast network, because Emily, who you're about to meet on the podcast, suggested that Chris and I start a Kids Devotions podcast, which is an excellent idea, but we don't have time for. But if we add in uh, the baking podcast, all we need is a very generous financial backer so that we can quit all our jobs and just make podcasts i think that was the handbrake on all of it the fact that we both have real jobs yeah and given the delay on releasing season two of this podcast <laughs> you can imagine how the wheels would fall off if we were trying to do the baking podcast and the kids podcast as well and surely if you're doing a network you've got to chuck a true crime in there as well <laughs> yes i look forward to the true crime of who's been breaking into the storage cages in our apartment building. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, actually, there's this... Wow. There's... Go solve that. There's there's this one person who I think used to live next door to us and now doesn't, but they would come in and steal mail from our mail room. So then they put a, a door on the mail room and they would also sit in our spa, just hang out in our apartment complex spa, which I don't care about that at all. I'm like, oh, yeah, more power to you. Have a good spa. I do care about stealing mail because they stole shampoo. For a moment, I thought you were talking about your own personal spa. Oh, yeah. And there was a level of shock that someone would sneak in and, and use your personal spa. But the deeper shock was that you were living the life of a spa owner all these years <laughs> and hadn't told me. Yeah, no. I, we, we are not yet at that level of, of wealth. You don't need to quit your job to start a podcast network. You just need to buy less spas, apparently. <laughs> 
When I was a kid, I loved looking at the Guinness World Records books, as everyone does. And one of my favorite mm-hmm. Guinness World Records to look up was the longest stretched limousine. And there was one which had a spa in it. And I think there was a helipad on the back of the stretched limousine. I don't know if it's... What happened when it wanted to turn a corner? I don't know. It was very... I, it Maybe it was like a bendy lim, stretched limousine. I don't know. Yeah, just have all kinds of logistical questions. I might remember this entirely wrong, but I'll probably Google Are you thinking of this. the 13-story treehouse? <laughs> no. No, I'm definitely Because it sounds like that kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, it's got a helipad and it's got, <laughs> it's got a spa. It's got everything. It's so cool. Look at my drawing. No, I distinctly so, remember there, there being a spa and a helipad right on the back. But Well, guess what I'm Googling as soon as we stop recording. I mean, you can I'm, Google it right now and, and we can edit out the Googling. Well, in that case, that's exactly what I'm going to do. A 30.5 meter 26-wheel limousine. That sounds like it. There's no way it's got a helipad on it. <laughs> it has many features, including a swimming pool with diving board. That yeah. does not sound safe. There we go. And a king-size waterbed. It is designed to drive as a rigid vehicle, or it can be changed to bend in the middle. Is there a helipad, though? It appears not. Oh. How are you landing a helicopter on a car? I don't care how long it is. <laughs> it's not driving. It does. Yes. On the back, it's like a little tiny mini helicopter. Still. It's not a full-size helicopter. Still seems impractical. But (laughs) there is a picture here of a very long car with six American flags on the front and a helicopter at the back. (laughs) There you go. Should we get on with our question? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Tom, what's our question for today? Our question for today is, is Samson's riddle contract with Philistine men... A valid contract. If only there was someone here with us who might have some expertise in this area. Your wife knows a bit about rhyming couplets, right? She does. (laughs) She's very, very good. And luckily, she is right here with us today. Here is my wife, Emily Sandrusi. Hi. So, Emily, what are your actual qualifications in contract legal things? (laughs) Great question. I have recently completed a Juris Doctor, which is a law degree, which is the first step towards being a lawyer. Did you say you're a Juris Doctor? (laughs) I completed a degree called a Juris Doctor. And that lets you feed the dinosaurs at Jurassic Park? (laughs) Sure, yeah. I think she she can heal the dinosaurs at Jurassic Park. Ah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I heal them with the application of legal principles in Latin. Wow, those philosopher really are smart. <laughs> yeah. What does it actually mean? It means I, I've completed the first step on the way to becoming a practicing lawyer. Very importantly, I am not yet a lawyer and I am not qualified or able to give any legal advice to anyone, but I can talk generally about concepts. And would you say you are more qualified to talk about the law than either Tom or myself? I probably know slightly more about contract law than either of you, I hope. You also work as a contracts officer. Yes, that's true. I do spend a lot of my time reading and reviewing contracts. So it's not just the degree, it's your 
professional expertise. Yes, that's true. Great. Well, we have a contract for you to read and review, and that contract is out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. Actually, that's not the full thing. Maybe we should backpedal a bit um, (laughs) and give some context for people who are perhaps not intimately familiar with the weird rabbit trails of the book of judges that would be helpful mm. do, you want, um, do you want me to do the reading yeah, why don't you do a little recap slash reading so where we're at at the moment in the book of judges we have the judges cycle where the people of israel are living in the new land the promised land and they worship other gods and then god sends in a foreign power to rule over them and then he raises up a judge to to defeat the foreign power and then they get set free and they're very happy and they follow god for a while but then they see the foreign gods and they start to worship them and then he sends in some people to rule over them so at this point in the story there are the philistines who are ruling over the people of israel and god has sent their judge to deliver them samson who gets born in judges uh, 13 he has a nativity story, somewhat like Jesus's, except he has a, a Nazarite vow that he has to take where he's not going to drink anything that comes from the grapevine, or eat anything or drink anything, any wine or fermented drink, can't eat anything unclean, uh, and he's not allowed to cut his hair. Uh, he grows up to be a, a bit of a brute, and it tells us in Judges 14, I'm going to read from here, um, anytime you want to stop and discuss anything in this uh, most logical of stories, just let me know. Great. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go get an uncircumcised Philistines? Oh, this is very confusing. Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Okay, I'll stop you there. This isn't strictly contract-based, I guess. However, I'd like to point out a slight cultural difference. Yeah. I'm still single. I have not yet found a wife. But one thing... No one has ever said to me is, well, surely there must be an acceptable woman among your relatives. And I'm glad about that. Could this be why you're still single? Have you not been looking closer to home? You could have found an acceptable cousin. I mean... Yeah, maybe this is why you're still single. Well, I feel like acceptable cousin is a bit of an oxymoron in the marriage stakes. (laughs) Right. Maybe I'm just being too narrow-minded, but... um, Yeah, you're very picky. Well... I feel, in my defense, a lot more women aren't my cousin <laughs> than are my cousin. Oh, that's fair. So, you know, I'm being picky, but only among a very small subset of people who share my grandparents. <laughs> in the story of Isaac, Abraham sends his servant specifically to find a cousin for Isaac to marry. So I think your problem is you're not looking for a biblical wife. Well... The even closer to home is Abraham and Sarah, where he pretends Sarah is his sister. And then when it comes out that he's lying, he's like, well, kind of. I mean, she is my sister. She's the the son of 
my father but not my mother or the son of my mother but not my the father daughter? one of them <laughs> anyway yeah. she's my half sister relax which <laughs> again it's not something i'm gonna relax about do you have any half sisters not unless my family history is more complex than i have been led to believe Oh, well, then it's not really an issue you have to resolve. But also instant veto. Shall we move on? I don't really feel yeah, like I'm contributing much other than saying to anyone listening who wants to set me up with somebody, family's out. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And I guess we'll start again with our list of p- potential matches for you. Well, I thank you for that. You, so you, um, you didn't get on Tinder at family Christmas this year. <laughs> Yeah. What does verse (laughs) four say? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll keep going. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn apart a young goat. Sorry to interrupt again, but that is something that is a a cultural norms thing that I do not share. Because I feel like the the writer's going, you know, like you'd tear apart a goat. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, like that. Don't you feel like tearing apart a young goat would be difficult? I guess it depends how young it is. I don't know. Are we assuming it's still alive? Yeah, I think so. I think you'd like you just see oh. a goat running around, grab it, and just tear it in half. I guess I, it wouldn't be that hard. Yeah. You just wouldn't want to. <laughs> I mean... Well, maybe maybe we wouldn't want to, but there might be people who would want to and what's the situation because like fair enough the lion's coming to attack it's coming roaring towards him but a young goat comes roaring to like bleating towards you and you're like (laughs) you just step out of the way surely i don't know sometimes they're very disrespectful you got to teach them a lesson pick up a goat tear it in half all the other goats are going to leave you alone do you guys think we should write a commentary (laughs) that's a great idea um sorry carry on (laughs) (laughs) Where are we up to? The young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. I like that he decided that he wanted to marry her before he talked to her, and then he talked to her, and then he liked her. So that was fortuitous. We've surely all had a moment like that. Uh, Well, actually, I decided I wanted to marry Emily before I talked to her. There you go. That's true. I saw her, and then I decided to marry her, and then... I talked to her father and then he sent her over and we had a chat and then we were married the next day. That's not true. What does verse 8 say, Tom? (laughs) (laughs) Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. You're pausing like I should have something to say about that. And really, I probably, that should be where I'm reacting. But for some reason, my mind just went, oh, yeah. Do you reckon? Okay, no, here is a question. (laughs) Do you reckon there were maggots as well as bees? Or do you think the bees drove away the maggots? They definitely would drive away the maggots. Maggots and bees do not get on. 
That's why it's the birds and the bees and not the maggots and the bees. Yeah. I feel like maybe you should have gotten a, what's the word, a bug expert on this episode en- rather en- than me. Entomologist? Yeah, that one. I, I know a bug lady. Well... She has a name. She's not just called the bug lady, but we have a, we actually have multiple bug people. Well, like we have people who look after the various like insects and arachnids and other invertebrates in the invertebrate house that we have at our school because mine is the kind of school with an invertebrate house. Four children who are part of the invertebrate house. (laughs) Oh, it's not for students. It's... (laughs) I'm in Gryffindor. I'm in invertebrates. (laughs) Wait, are the children in this scenario invertebrates or (laughs) the invertebrates? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) All right, we don't need to go there. What does verse nine say? (laughs) (laughs) What I'm still thinking about (laughs) where the bees regularly build their hives inside dead animals like normally they're on trees like is that a special like holy spirit occurrence for this story or is that just does that just regularly happen i will ask at school the next time i have an opportunity i'll report back to you for the next episode can you can you put it on a work email (laughs) i could but i won't (laughs) feels like an off the an off the record kind of conversation that's true you don't want to leave a paper trail so you know when you tear apart a lion <laughs> you know like you like you tear apart a young goat but like if you are really strong anyway how often would you get a beehive in there <laughs> roughly speaking and would the bees scare away the maggots? I'm actually going to write these down. Beehive <laughs> in dead lion? Question mark. Bees versus maggots? That sounds like an excellent question baby. mark. Anyway, I'll report back. We can we can use this information when we record the 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 outro for this episode before it goes to air. Yep. All right. Great. Perfect. So stay tuned to the end of this episode, by which time, through the power of podcast magic, we will have resolved those science issues. All right, here we go. Verse 9. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. That was probably a kindness to his parents. No, because they've all become unclean now. They've just eaten dead lion honey. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's true. Like, he wasn't meant to touch anything dead, and now he's scooping honey out of the carcass of a lion and feeding it to his parents. He's a bit of a buffhead. Mm. I, I don't want to say anything m- mean about sports players. <laughs> yes, you do. But when I read... <laughs> About Samson, I regularly just get images of various NRL scandals in my head. It feels like it could totally fit in with a rugby league team. If you ate some really good honey and you're like, man, this is good honey. Where'd you get it? And someone was like, oh, I got it out of the decaying carcass of a lion that I murdered by the side of the road. You know, like you would with a young goat, but like, you know, different. <laughs> and... 
And then I came back and there was honey in there. <laughs> would you be like, that's oh, good though. Or would you be like, gross, don't give me any surprise snacks anymore. <laughs> I think I would rather know before I ate the honey. Like I'd rather make an informed decision about whether I eat the, the lion carcass honey or not. Picturing him like, because what's he? He doesn't have a jar with him, so is he just walking up to his parents with like cupped hands full of honey <laughs> and being like, "Here, try some of this." <laughs> yeah, sort of like how like Winnie the Pooh, like just dips his whole hand in a yeah, honey pot and, and like, then like, licks this. it off. Yeah. yeah, I guess it was probably like on the comb. He probably brought a bit of comb like wrapped up in a or something. Yeah, let's give him the benefit mm. of the doubt and say that's how he did it. Still not hygienic. I mean, because usually <laughs> the problem with giving somebody food in your cupped hands is that it's not very hygienic. <laughs> like, that would be the normal problem with giving somebody a handful of honey. But it's just come out of a, a corpse. So... In all of your experience of sharing food out of your cupped hands, is that the most common problem that comes up? Well, isn't it? I guess, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's the social awkwardness <laughs> of being like... Lick, lick this out of hey, my hands, please. <laughs> do, do you want some milk? You know, but... <laughs> can I... Would you like some honey? I, I got it from somewhere. All right. You know how you when you buy honey, like if you get fancy honey, they t- t- talk about what kind of honey it is. It's like like Australian eucalypt honey. And it's got like a special taste. Lion honey. Yeah. It might taste great. What are these red streaks in my handful of honey? Never mind. Okay, should right. we continue? Because we're, we're getting close <laughs> to the actual contract bit. But a lot of this has just been a verse by verse analysis of what is admittedly a fascinating text. This is the kind of expository preaching that John MacArthur lives for. Here we go. Verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose thirty men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it, he replied. Verbal contract, right there, right? Well, maybe, but these 30 young men or whoever they are, 30 companions, don't actually accept samson's offer they like saying tell us your riddle let's hear it isn't necessarily saying yes we agree to that deal so i think if i was trying to make an argument for the 30 young men to get out of this actually no for samson i guess by the end of the story to get out of this contract i would say they never actually verbally accepted the contract what if they Back they had you. a sticky handshake after it? We don't have any evidence of a sticky handshake. No, but if like they said, tell us your riddle, let's hear it, and then he tells them the riddle and they shake hands. It doesn't say that, but if they shook hands, is that enough? Even though they didn't legitimately say it's a deal? 
He's a handshake. Mm, yes, well, I guess like... A honey handshake. Yeah, Surely honey. that's got to count for something. Yeah, yeah. If if honey handshakes were, you know, customarily accepted as as accepting a deal, then yes, sure. Great. Okay. So tell us your riddle, Tom. Let's hear it. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. Does that rhyme in the original Hebrew? That's what I was wondering, and I looked it up, and then I realized I don't read Hebrew, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you got that far before you realized you don't read Hebrew, though. I'm going to assume that it was rhyming in the original Hebrew, because the, the translators, if they can put in rhymes or puns that are in the original text they do and the the fact that they've got this one where someone would be like look I, I can make a rhyme I think there would have been a lot of happy bible translators that day when they're like yes rhyme eat and sweet you can do it so I think it would be cool great well let's keep going then I do like that the second Samson meets his companions he's like in his macho voice let me challenge you with a riddle and that's his you know first attempt at connecting with these guys and it's interesting that it's not you want to go me it's like (laughs) you want to go me in the form of a cryptic crossword clue yeah i feel like he would have had a much better chance in a physical fight yeah do you think this is the smartest he gets or is it the dumbest he gets he's really not majoring on what he's good at which is like breaking and destroying and punching stuff yeah like the best these guys could probably hope to do is tear apart a small goat yeah whereas he can do a lion (laughs) yeah that's a very good point do you want me to keep reading yeah let's let's go on the fourth day they said to samson's wife Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Okay, so this is my counter-argument to the they didn't accept it. Mm -hmm. It sure sounds like they did at this point. (laughs) That's true. If I'm remembering my first-year contract subjects correctly, I don't think you can look at subsequent behavior as an indicator of whether the contract was accepted at the time but i could be wrong on that so there's this type of contract called a a unilateral contract so if samson had just said here's my riddle if you can tell me the answer then i'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes and that was the end of it then that would be the offer and then their way of accepting it you could argue then would be to turn up with the answer to the riddle yeah if that makes sense so they wouldn't need to be a separate kind of communication of their acceptance of his offer for that type of contract but i think the fact that there's this kind of second part that says if you can't tell me the answer you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes that indicates that it needs something more than just kind of acceptance by performance they'd have to definitively say from the outset yep you're on yeah, I guess so. So it, it all depends on whether the tell us your riddle, let's hear it, is acceptance of that offer or not. I do see how, like, you know, their anxiety about not, you know, knowing the answer in verse 15, it seems like in their minds they have accepted the offer and they are trying to complete the contract. Yeah, well, it feels like 
they feel locked into it because they seem to think that Samson's wife is in on it. And they say, did you invite us here to steal our property? So it seems like they're worried that if they don't come up with an answer to the riddle, that they're going to lose their 30 sets of clothes. Yeah. And one of the elements that you look for in a contract to determine whether a valid contract has been made is that there was an intention to be legally bound by the contract. So this does seem to indicate that these guys did intend to be legally bound by the contract. They at least, you know, were taking it as legally binding. In a modern context, would threatening to burn someone and their whole household to death who was not demonstrably in any way involved invalidate a contract if it had been made or is that just a whole separate crime that would need to be dealt with as a separate crime oh that's a good question so firstly samson maybe isn't quite as smart as he thinks he is and he hasn't like clarified how they should go about getting the answer he hasn't laid down any rules for that Mm. don't threaten to murder my wife and her whole family (laughs) Yeah, for example. So contracts entered into under duress, you can argue that those contracts aren't, you know, valid. And so duress to the person, which includes threats of violence, not just physical violence, would be enough to invalidate a contract. But it has to be the reason for entering into the contract. So, for example, if Samson had said to the 30 men, you have to agree to give me an answer to this riddle or else I'll tear you all apart like a lion or a small goat, then that would be duress and, you know, the contract might not be valid. But I don't know that uh, contract law would specifically kind of step in in this example where the contract has been made and then they've turned to Samson's fiance to or wife at this point to threaten her unless she gives them the answer Mm. so it might just be up to another area of law to step in and rescue her although realistically she's a woman in the old testament so probably not well shall we push on and see what happens tom yeah let's do it then samson's wife threw herself on him sobbing you hate me you don't really love me you've given my people a riddle and you haven't told me the answer I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. Can I just stop here? Because I've noticed the timing seems off here. Because the feast starts, for like it's a seven day feast. For three days, they couldn't figure out the answer. So on the fourth day, they talk to her. And then she cries for seven days of the feast unless she was crying just in general because she had to marry samson which is very possible yeah and the the added tears came on like extra tears after the fourth day when she got threatened with being burnt alive it feels like the only upside to marrying samson that we've seen so far is protection from lions and i guess goats yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is not enough. Like, I'd be crying if I had to marry him. <laughs> Even if he was your cousin? I would say especially. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 keep going. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. 
before sunset on the seventh day, the men of town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? This is like the most absurd riddle in the world. Like, if someone said to you, Out of the it is something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. You're not going to be like, Hmm, it sounds a lot like honey that you find inside of a dead lion. That's Uh, obvious. Unless it is very common for bees to build hives in dead lions. Maybe it's more common than we realize. And maybe Well, yeah, to me this is like part of what just shows the reality of it because like you wouldn't make it up like this surely. Like I feel like if I was making this up, his riddle would be, "Hey, guess where I got this honey?" <laughs> <laughs> You're a poet. You know, he comes up with his his head full of honey. <laughs> Look, I haven't workshopped the poem part yet, but like that would be the core question: where does honey come from? And then you'd have Samson's wife being like, "Well, can you tell me?" And he's like, "Fine, I found it in a corpse of a lion." And then by the the sunset on the seventh day, they'd be like. Was it in a corpse? A lion corpse? And he'd be like, oh, good guess. <laughs> I, I think uh, an, an alternate option might be that because the, the lion, the, the honey lion corpse was somewhere outside the village of Timna, over the past like few weeks or months, it had become like a, a landmark. Anyway, like, have, have you seen the honey lion? And well, they were like, oh, let's let's go hunting. We'll meet at the honey lion. And then everyone everyone knows the local landmark. And so when he tells them, it's they should be able to figure it out because it's mm. the the honey lion. In which case, this is slightly less obscure riddle than Bilbo Baggins' "What's inside my pocket?" Yeah, because yeah. they've all seen the the honey lion. Yeah. Whereas we know Smeagol hadn't seen the inside of Bilbo Baggins' pocket. Mm. I don't know what made me think of this exactly, but and I don't know why I'm choosing this moment to reveal this in a public forum, but my sister and I used to play this game when we were kids called Smell My Finger, Guess Where It's Been. (laughs) (laughs) And this riddle feels a little bit like that. Was the answer ever a lion's corpse? (laughs) It wasn't, but that would have been such a good one. (laughs) Smell it? I don't need to smell it. It's covered in honey. Clearly, it's been inside a lion's corpse. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay, can we push on? Because we're about to get to what I feel in a very kind of offensive and problematic story is maybe the part that jumps out to me as like the most awful. Okay, here we go. Samson said to them, If you had not ploughed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. If you had not ploughed with my heifer. (laughs) Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I know, like, there are much deeper and more problematic systemic things going on. Like, this whole story is the story of this woman being oppressed by a patriarchal society. But come on. If you had not ploughed with my heifer... It's pretty bad. As a as a wife, Emily, would you be offended if I called yes. you my heifer? Yes. 
Okay, I'll just make a note of that. I guess this is this is the thing. Like Samson's compared it to a heifer, but her people have threatened to burn her and her entire household. So yeah, over thirty pieces of clothing. She can't catch a break. No. Yeah. Do you, so. Do you leave your your people who threatened you threatened to burn you? Do you stay, stick with them or do you go for the guy who just called you a heifer? His heifer, no less. Well, I would say being called the heifer is the lesser of two evils. It's not appropriate, shouldn't do it, but it's better than being burned alive with your family. Mm, that's probably true. Yeah. Oh, well, good call, unnamed wife. <laughs> Shall we finish the story? Yep. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him he went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. The end. Except not the end, because then he goes back and wants his wife. That's true. Because the next bit says later on at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson... Like, so what is that? Like, months later, maybe? Yeah, prob- probably. Samson took a young goat, which he's presumably torn apart with his bare hands, <laughs> and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. Like, he's just... He's disappeared for months, comes back with a, another carcass, and is like, I'll just... I'll be with my wife. After having abandoned her in a murderous flurry anyway but her father would not let him go in i was so sure you hated her he said that i gave her to your companion isn't a younger sister more attractive take her instead samson said to them this time i have a right to get even with the philistines i will really harm them so he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs which is a logistical nightmare can i say i mean not that i've tried it but you know he then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches. How did he light 150 torches simultaneously? I guess it didn't have to be simultaneous. You could do it one at a time. And let the foxes loose in the standing corner of the Philistines. Oh, the, the up- foxes are alive. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry, I assumed they were dead. That was... No, he doesn't tear apart every animal, only <laughs> the ones he wants to. Yeah. So, the, so there's uh, no he honey fastened a torch to every foxes. pair of tails lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing corn of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing corn together with the vineyards and the olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, Since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. And like it keeps going, like the cycle of violence just keeps continuing. I feel like the foxes, the whole fox kind of scheme is a very um, inefficient way to get revenge on these people. Like if you just wanted to burn down grain, why wouldn't you just burn it? Burn it? (laughs) (laughs) Like are the foxes really necessary? Particularly like why did he have to tie them together? By the tail, why didn't he... That's a good point. It Surely it would be more efficient if he just tied a torch to every fox's tail. Yeah, then he would only need half the foxes, maybe. Or you could be double as efficient. 
Ooh. I guess you need mm. twice the torches. Yeah. He has a real way with animals, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> The Dr. Doolittle of the Bible. So maybe when he called her a heifer or his heifer, it was actually an affectionate term for him. Mm, I mean, <laughs> if by affection you mean tear apart or set on fire. Well, he didn't set the foxes on fire, just the, well, the torches he attached to their tails. It doesn't seem like that's going to go well for them, <laughs> but I guess. I feel like, you know, to take a, a bit of a swerve in tone, his wife becomes the collateral damage and her whole family becomes the collateral damage for Samson's dumb riddle and his dumb outrage and his dumb need to have revenge on everybody who wrongs him, even though it was all kind of his fault in the beginning. Like, it's just a... It's a real mess. (laughs) Yeah. This whole story is a mess. Like, the entire thing of Samson, he's just the worst. I don't know why we teach him in Sunday school of being, like, hero of the Bible. Oh, because he's strong. He is strong. He's very good at catching foxes. I know he's a significant figure or whatever, but he's kind of like... Well, I mean, he's the total opposite of Jesus in the way that he uses his power. You know, in the sense that, like, Jesus, like Samson, has this incredible power that he brings into the world through the holy spirit and he only ever uses it to do good and to do selfless things where it feels like anytime samson is doing anything that's exerting power it's to do violence and to do harm and sometimes that's for the benefit of his people but sometimes or like almost always it's just making the world more horrible yeah I, th- I think it's interesting that, so like verse 14, where it says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling Israel. It's like God's got this plan to confront the Philistines and he uses this oath to do it. And it's not like anything that Samson does is good, but he achieves what God set out to do to confront the Philistines in in the midst of his idiocy and horrible violence. Whereas like with Jesus, God also has a plan to confront evil in the world. But uh, when he confronts evil through Jesus, Jesus is entirely uh, complicit in it. Like he knows, he knows what God is up to and is playing into God's plan rather than God has to achieve his plan with a blunt instrument like Samson. Mm. It made me think of, you know, at the end of Genesis where Joseph is talking to his brothers who've sold him into slavery, except now he's, you know, second in command in Egypt. And he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good and for the saving of many lives. I feel like this is another situation like that. You know, it's not that Samson is like, I'm doing the will of the Lord. He's just being awful. And yet God is working in and through even his awful, brutish acts to accomplish his purposes not because god loves to work through violence or to like trade in violence but because violent people seem to be all he's got to work with yeah maybe it feels a little bit like he's like a a very violent forrest gump forrest gump is unwittingly getting all this stuff done when he's just going around being himself like he invents like the smiley face icon when he rubs his face on a t-shirt or something like that doesn't he when he's like running across it's America something like and, that yeah 
Yeah, like there's a few different things where he unwittingly sets things in motion that he's just being himself. And that's what, what Samson is doing. He's just being himself. And he's getting getting God's stuff done at the time. Which, like in the, in the small scheme of things, it looks very unpleasant. But in the big scheme of things, this is God rescuing his people from their oppressors through someone like Samson. And it's not that God is gleefully enacting violence because that is what he loves to do. It is, you've got sinful, awful people on all sides. And because God has dedicated himself to partnering with humanity to fulfill his purposes in the world, we're all he's got to work with. And yet, even in the middle of all of the brutality of just like life on earth, the fact that God can work anything out of it at all is miraculous, let alone the fact that he perfectly works all of it together to fulfill his purposes. Mm. I guess we answered the contract question. (laughs) So my takeaway on the contract side of things is his riddle probably wouldn't stand up in court as a formal contract in a, a modern day court, but Samson would end up in modern day court for a lot of other reasons anyway, so never mind the contract. I think that's my conclusion. It, it does feel like the contract is pretty far down the list of legal concerns in this story. The, the lawyers would still make their money off Samson without the contract business. And that's what you're all about. Yeah. Lawyers. Right. Like 50% of my course was about how to get rich. <laughs> and that's why we have a Tesla now. That's not true. That's not why we have a Tesla. We just have a Tesla because we're very rich from the podcast empire. That's that's true. That's not true. <laughs> um, I have about 3% battery left, so we should say whatever else we need to say. Well, I think we covered God's scheme of salvation and we covered biblical contracts. Well, one biblical contract. There's a lot of biblical contracts. I was thinking we might talk about some other ones because I wanted to talk about the contracts where you put your hand under someone's thigh and that's how you sign a contract in bible times but we didn't get to that so maybe season three we can talk about that I think we need to get you back on again em and talk about thigh grabbing we can do that <laughs> that's how we sign all our contracts at work really i guess <laughs> no you'd... well i mean it was pre-covid but now oh yeah it's just not safe yeah yeah they just they just have just have one person in a hazmat suit go around and grab Grab everyone's thighs on behalf of the, her employer. Yeah, either that or thigh bumps. Mm. <laughs> that feels safe. And then just like sanitize your thigh after. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Emily Sandrusi. It's been good having you. Sure thanks has. for having me. We, we haven't had any guest laugh as well as you have laughed. <laughs> oh, sorry if I laughed too much. No, it's great. It really affirms what we're doing here. He did laugh at Chris's jokes more than mine, but that's fine. It's because mine were better this time. (laughs) (laughs) They they were. They definitely were. Anyway, well, we'll we'll wrap it up when we hopefully very soon when we get to hear from your invertebrate friend to tell us what's been going on with maggots and honey. I, I need to be clear that she is... An expert on invertebrates from the outside. She's a vertebrate. She has a vertebrae, yes. Great. Great. I assume she's very upright and good at standing (laughs) for someone with no visible exoskeleton and no... 
yeah. Anyway, I think that about wraps it up. So, Chris, normally at this point in the show, I would be asking you, Chris, where can people find out more of your stuff? But you did some research in between when we recorded this and now. You found your invertebrate friend and asked her some questions. What do you have for us? Can I first say that when you messaged me to tee up the recording of this little outro bit and you said, don't forget, this is the one where you talk to the invertebrate lady or whatever. (laughs) And I was like, who is the invertebrate lady? And then I remembered that it was, in fact, the the person at work who takes care of our invertebrates and our turtles and things. (laughs) Anyway, I spoke to her and she reckons that bees would not naturally build a hive inside a lion's carcass. So this feels more like either on the level of a very weird choice for some bees to make or even like a miraculous bee housing scenario. Oh, right. Which makes the riddle even trickier. It does. So it's not it's not Because if, if, if most of these guys had seen bees swarming around a lion carcass before then that at least is a thing that you could guess but if these are like miracle bees some scholars have apparently attempted to say that this was like a lion's rib cage yes and that because i think that was it was a little while since i've i've spoken to my friend at work but i think that she was essentially saying there's nothing really for the hive to adhere to inside like a moist carcass but if it was dried out bones Maybe that's a bit more doable. Mm. So Great. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, Tom, if people wanted to find more of your things, where could they go? They should go to tomfrench.com.au and specifically at the moment, go to tomfrench.com.au forward slash disciples so that you can pre-order my new book, A Dozen Disappointed Disciples, and you can get a free sample of it. So go there and then find me on the socials, TW French. Chris, if people want to find more from you, where can they go? They can go to YouTube and search for Chris Morphew and then they'll find a video of me promoting the book you just talked about. So if you're not sold yet, go find that and sell (laughs) yourself on Tom's new book because it's really good. Also, you can find me on chrismorphew.com and on social media. My name's weird enough. You'll find it. I think that's everything. Are we Have we done a podcast, Tom? We've, Did we do it? We've done a podcast. Great. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye.